Blog Talk Radio. Don't mind if you got something nice to say about me. I enjoy an accolade like the rest. And you could take my picture and hang it in. Good morning, and welcome to Solutions Live Business Edition. I'm your host, Chickie Fitzgerald, coming to you from Tampa, Florida. Solutions Live provides practical advice from authors and experts on a wide range of topics for professionals to help you leave your legacy. Hey, good morning. Excuse me, got a frog in my throat. It is Tuesday, May 26th, and this is Chicky Fitzgerald with Solutions Live coming to you from sunny Tampa, Florida. We had a very, very rainy week last week, and so it is so nice to have the sunshine back again. Uh, We are going to be joined this morning by the authors of a very, very interesting book about customer service innovation. And while on the surface that sounds like a very dry topic, I can assure you that John Patterson and Chip Bell uh, are going to sing some life into this. So uh, if you will just hang with me for a minute, I will get them on in just a second. But at 10.30, we're going to be joined by Matthew May. And his book, In Pursuit of Excellence, talks about why the best ideas are missing. And so you will find that Matthew uh, will be also talking about innovation, but from a different perspective. And then at 11 o'clock, we are going to be moving up our Escape from Corporate America show and having Carolyn Hudson on as our guest. Uh, Pamela Skilling is my co-host for that show. So I am looking forward to that. But for right now, let's turn to our first guest. Let me get uh, them on the air. Good morning. Is this Jonathan? This is John. Hey, John, how are you? Great. I, I uh, just had a call from Chip on my other line, but since I'm already on the show, perhaps you can uh, ping him and let him know. I sent him the call-in number. I just saw your email come up, and so I'm sure. Oh, there he is. Hang okay. on just one second. Let me get him on the line. Good morning, Chip. Good morning. How are you? <laughs> we have a quorum. Hey, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love it when a plan comes together. There so, you John, go. You, John, you're in Atlanta. Yes. How's the weather there today? Not bad. Uh, the rain seems to have gone away for a little while. We, oh, we love thank catching God. up on our rain, but we're glad for it to go away for a little while. Yeah, we uh, we had quite a bit last week. And, you know, I don't so much mind the rain because we get rain every day in the summer uh, in Tampa, but it's usually, you know, confined to a couple of hours a day, and we had gray skies all yep. week. And Chip, remind me where you're calling in from. Well, actually, I'm calling in from uh, Lake Oconee, which is about 90 minutes southeast of Atlanta. Oh, okay, great. Yep. We're just delighted to be on. Well, terrific. Well, I really appreciate you guys uh, taking some time out this morning to talk about innovation. So why don't um, we start uh, first with Chip. Why don't you give us just uh, kind of the thumbnail of your background and how you and John got together? Well, actually, it's an interesting story, we think. Um, I've been involved as a consultant to organizations around customer loyalty 
for almost 30 years. Um, and a number of years ago, John hired me to come work with his organization on creating a service vision and standards as a major hotel company. And so that's how we met. I was actually his consultant. And then the company um, changed hands and was sold, and John decided it was a good time to go into consulting, and we joined forces. That's been seven years ago, John? Uh, almost eight, I think. Almost eight years, yeah. And, John, what's your background? Well, as Chip said, uh, when I met him, I was on the operating side of a major hotel company, and I've always been in positions where I dealt with the customer, um, mostly in either financial services or real estate operations. So when I hired this really good consultant, he taught me a lot, and I thought, <laughs> "You're kind." Uh, we kind of clicked. And that the worked. good ones always cost a lot. Oh, there <laughs> you go. There you go. <laughs> but they're worth their weight in gold. Absolutely. Well, tell me what brought you guys uh, to write "Take Their Breath Away." And by the way, I absolutely love the title, and I well, love thanks. the cover. Thanks, oh, well. I think part of the reason, um, and this is our second book together, uh, part of the reason was we began to see the economy changing and recognize that the whole concept of value added was becoming very expensive. Uh, if you think of value added as taking the experience you create for customers and adding more, uh, it became difficult to impossible. The hotel, for example, that might want to upgrade you to the concierge level now has to sell that room, or the the airline that wants to all upgrade you to first class, they need to sell that seat in first class. So I can't afford the extra dessert. Uh, and so we thought, okay, where where does service need to go when value added is cut off and no longer cost effective, or is too expensive? And so we realized if we brought a sense of innovation to service and look for value unique value, the, the imaginative little things you can do, it would have a kind of um, awe-inspiring experience and, and create a story to tell And so for the customer. So they'd go back to see their colleagues or friends and say, you're not going to believe what they did. And often the examples we discovered in the clients who worked with and companies that we know is those little imaginative things generally are simple and unexpected and don't don't break the bank and are doable by bank organizations. Well, it's interesting, uh, you know, that you you started out bringing up uh, some of the hospitality and travel examples because that's where I've spent the bulk of my 30 years uh, in my career. And you know, it's it's interesting in these uh, very very challenging uh, economic times, a lot of these companies, and really most companies that that have a, a service face directly to the customer, mm -hmm. are laying off frontline people along with all of the support people yeah. and cutting back on those extras. And yep. and so you know, I know you guys call yourself customer loyalty consultants. Uh, in particular in the hospitality arena where it's really easy to reflag a hotel, you know, from one day, you know, it's a, a Sheraton or a Weston and the next day it's a Marriott mm -hmm. or a Hyatt. How in the world can you build customer loyalty? John, well, do you want to take that? Yeah, let me start there, Chip. And, you you know, I'm going to start with a little bit of a story, Chicky, if that's okay. Absolutely. Um, we've, we've been working with a client now for, um, gosh, about a year and a half and uh, traveling to the northeast. And when you're when you're up there every month for um, a couple 
a couple of weeks almost, um, you're looking for a home away from home. And um, we found it in a hotel, and it's a major chain. It's in, and this example is in the book. And we really like this hotel um, not because the rooms are just amazing. Uh, they're fine. They're comfortable. Um, and uh, the location's okay. Um, it could be a little more convenient, but it's okay. But we like it because of the connection that the people who work at the hotel have made. When we walk into the hotel and one of our favorite front desk folks says, you're back, and starts talking to us and asking <laughs> cool. us. She comes around from the outside the, hand, the, big, the yeah, counter and hugs a hug her. from her. Yeah. Uh, she knows we're from the south and we're hugging people. Uh, <laughs> that, that says something. When we walk into the lobby bar slash restaurant and Michael says, um, the usual, uh, or do you need a menu? And so he knows not only our drink order, but he knows our dinner order. That tells us something about how important we are. Oh, absolutely. Michael. And, and here's, here's what's key about it. It's a great place to start, John. And here's, here's uh, to marry the two concepts of what do we do when we cut back. Here's what they've done. Uh, Miss Lillian, who might be normally there, um, they cut her days back, the number of days that she works. And so when she sees on the min- on the ro- roster that we're scheduled to be there that night and it happens to be a night that she's off, she will say to the front desk person who will be there, now these are my two friends. They're going to be coming in. Make sure you treat them well. And so we walk in. It's not Miss Lillian. But the person says, oh, I've been expecting you. Miss Lillian said I should really pay, uh, give you great customer service. So <laughs> it doesn't always have to be the one, Miss Lillian or, or, the, or Michael. It can be uh, they can manage it as a team because we know they're cutting back and cutting back hours and staff. But right. you can still manage it. Yeah, I walked in last week, and uh, to Chip's point, uh, the, a young gentleman on the front desk said, Miss Lillian asked me to say hello, and she's so sorry that she had to leave before you got here. Now, they don't have to do that. but the chip No, is- no, but that is just such a powerful demonstration right. yeah. uh, of yeah. what you're and talking so, about. So, you know, that really does create customer devotion, which I, uh-huh. I know is one of your uh, – one of your points of your book, right. and and in my example about a hotel that reflags from a Marriott to a Sheraton or or a uh, you know a Wyndham to a Hyatt, yep. you know if you got Miss Lillian there, you're going to stay there no matter what the flag is, right? Absolutely. So now all of a sudden it's devotion to Miss Lillian it, and well, how she's been trained and not to the brand. Exactly, you are, and and the key point is um, what you all were talking about earlier is if you change the flag. You know, are you going to change the staff, or are you going to change their attitude? Even more important, mm-hmm. and that's dangerous. That's risky. Yep. Especially today. Well, so it is, and you know, another another industry. And I don't know if you guys work in the banking industry at all, but you know, reflagging is is a common term in, in the, sure. the travel industry and hospitality. But it has become incredibly common in the banking business. Absolutely. You know, one one day it's Wachovia, and the next, next day, day it's, it's Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo. Right. We, we both have uh, some time in banks. Yep. And we vote, we have uh, banking clients, and uh, it's fascinating what's going on. 
are they taking it seriously? Because I'll tell you that the experience does change. And, and we started out as a premier banking customer with Bank of America where they actually came to our home to open the account when we moved uh-huh. here uh, almost 10 years ago. And now not only have we been shuttled off to an 800 number, but we can't get anyone to help us right. you know, in working with you know, renegotiating our mortgage or our line of credit oh, yeah. or, or any of those other things. I think the challenge is going to be um, we understand why banks get big, but if they don't continue to think about the local bank, I'm a local bank. I may be huge and global, but I also, it, it, at the end of the day, it's the relationship. It, it's you know, I don't I don't feel warm and cuddly about, you know, who my banker is, an 800 number. You know, that doesn't do much for me. You know, um, nope. funny that you use this example, Chicky, because I used to be a Premier Banking customer too, and I got the letter in the mail. And I finally called the guy who was my relationship manager. And I said, I know I'm not supposed to call you, but I'm hoping you can help me do something. And he actually called me back. And I asked him, I said, what happened? And he went through all the whole process there of the downsizing and how few relationship managers they have and the model they went to. And I feel the same way you do. And I've been a Bank of America customer for a long time. Right. Yeah, and, and I mean, actually, they've, they've done better than most. But, you know, it's interesting because our, our Miss Lillian uh, uh, in the banking business is named Ruben, and he actually ended up leaving Bank of America. We mm-hmm. went with him to his new bank, and then he switched sure. banks again, and we went with him again. And he's Very actually good. now mm-hmm. a business partner with my husband in a right. real estate investment group. Exactly. And, and and so again, you know, where where does the loyalty and devotion, uh, you know, get integrated? Because, you know, I know you guys also talk about, um, you know, what the best way is to help take their breath away. And does this start with management, or does it start at the front line? And how do you get it to meet in the middle? Uh, well, I think that you just answered it. I think you try to have it meet in the middle. Yeah, obviously, it's easier if it starts at the top. We all know that. But it doesn't have to start at the top, and we've seen great examples where grassroots kind of efforts have sort of uh, been the impetus for organizational change. You know, I think the key is light many fires, started in lots of places. Um, and, and, you know, again, if you can get management to buy into it, that's terrific. But I certainly wouldn't want to say, well, as soon as my boss likes this, then I will. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think as a culture and as a society, we are becoming more entrepreneurial in general, um, and we're seeing more of a legitimization of that grassroots. Take a look at social media. You know, what does Facebook and uh, Twitter yeah. tell us? It, it says people want control, and they want a way to connect, and they want it customized. And so the more organizations can create the opportunity for people to be entrepreneurs in the organization. Uh, it's not totally relied on the top. I love your question, Jackie. Let's, let's look at one of the uh, companies that is just doing fantastic right now, which is Zappos.com. Are you mm-hmm. familiar with them? Yes, absolutely. And Although I'm, I don't have a shoe fetish, I do know who they are. <laughs> oh, well, we don't either, but we know who they are. And, uh, we know what a great job they've done there, and they've been able to combine the best of what we're talking about. They've created a culture where serving the customer is number one, uh-huh. and you can be very entrepreneurial in inside of a business that has grown to over a billion dollars in revenue a year. 
but they've built it around some ten incredible core values, and clearly their leadership's on board. But what you get there is a whole company full of Miss Lillians, mm-hmm. or a whole company full of Rubens. So if in, in, if your rep leaves at Zappos, there's one just like them who has the same mindset, the same values to take care of you. So they've embraced it throughout the organization, which is obviously, as you said, a meeting in the middle, the best of all worlds. Right. But they've put the customer first. And if you read their stuff, if you listen to interviews with their CEO, they talk about we're a service company that just happens to sell stuff over the Internet. Right. Our job's to wow our customers. Well, you know, and and uh, it is wonderful to hear those kinds of stories. I think what what I would like to shift to though is you guys don't get called in when everything is great. <laughs> you know, w- with customers like Zappos who mm-hmm. who yeah. are doing a wonderful job or, or perhaps you do, but I think uh, the more But more often it's the latter. Yeah, more often it's great. the one who doesn't have consistent customer service or they have downright bad right. customer service. And and they don't know how to treat their customers, or they're, uh, you know, just hear no evil, see no evil, and are ignoring what's going on with what I call word of mouth media, which right. is this whole social media trend. And they it's out of control, and they don't know how to handle it. So mm-hmm. what do you guys do? One of the things that we do, it's a great question. One of the things we do is try to help them get a lot of learnings about what their customers expect. To us, it starts with the customer. Um, and if you're, if that's my focal point, if they're my patient, so to speak, and I've got an upset or sick patient, then I need to do some sort of assessment to figure out what's important to get them whole or get them well, to use that analogy. So I think it starts with a deep understanding of what is, what is it that's going to drive customer loyalty. And from that, we try to help organizations now sort of recalibrate where they go and how they do to be more responsive. And sometimes that path to how do we become much more customer-centered in how we do that begins with crafting a, a clear experience of this is what we want our experience to look like, feel like at every touch point, internal and external. Uh, it includes, we call it a service vision, but it's a picture of what that experience needs to, it needs to be uh, consistently. And it start, includes developing standards and norms that say this is what, how we need to act to, con, to, um, to be consistent with that picture. Uh, it means developing the right metrics that help us monitor what we do. Uh, it includes how we select people, how we train and orient people so that they uh, are focused all in the same direction. So it's a whole, whole process of alignment. It sometimes includes helping managers begin to identify the evidence when we do act consistent with our picture and the accountability, which is always a tough nut to crack, the accountability that's present that drives a discipline, discipline in a positive sense, uh, a rigor to to bring uh, organization focused on the customer. And again, bringing that customer in. How many times do we sit in on a leadership meeting uh, about the importance of things that are going on in the business and the customers never mentioned? And so we try to help them bring that cust- voice of the customer and the presence of the customer in everything they do. 
And and so we talked a little bit about the social media sites like Twitter and Facebook. Are, are you guys getting dragged into helping your, your clients with figuring out how to navigate all of that? Sometimes. They're, be, they're beginning to ask us yeah. uh, about that. Um, as you know, we, we are tweeting. Uh, Chip and I are learning that medium uh, the best we can and trying to understand how best we can use it. And we've seen some wonderful examples of how companies are using this to communicate with the customers, both receiving information from customers but also responding to information or letting customers know what's going on. So we're just beginning to get asked about it. Mm-hmm. Well, may- maybe that's an area where we can uh, collaborate because I've spent the last five months uh, just getting totally embroiled right. uh, in social Good. media. And I'm, I'm actually launching a book club uh, next week because my uh, my radio show is going on hiatus for the summer, but I'm doing a, a book club on uh, what I'm calling word of mouth media, because it isn't just about uh, you know tweeting and and updating Facebook. It's about how it all hangs together and and how it impacts companies when their senior executives don't understand how to use it, exactly. uh, both personally oh, yeah. or professionally. Oh, yeah. So uh, let's shift gears here for a little bit. Uh, I was watching last week uh, the the old movie You've Got Mail. Uh, where where you've got uh, a small bookstore, yep. uh, you know, very very specialized, uh, you know, focusing on kids, and you know, around mm-hmm. the corner is is this big box, uh, you know, store. Uh, in in the movie, it's called Fox. Right. Uh, you know, but it's obviously a, a play on what happens all over the country with Barnes sure. and Noble sure. and, and uh, Borders. And so, how can small businesses and entrepreneurs um, top the service? Uh, that's being offered by those big big box stores and actually make a difference and keep the business uh, that they would otherwise lose? I'd probably start by hiring Meg Ryan, but no. <laughs> In your Absolutely. I could resist. Hiring Tom Hanks and hiring Meg Ryan. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a good question. We have a lot of clients that ask that question, um, and I think it comes down to, and this is in many ways part of the target of the book, is – it is how how you can one up the big boxes is through the experience you create, um, and and that starts with focusing on that relationship, focusing on when they come into my let's use the the you've got you've got mail example. If I owned a little bookstore. It'd be the most customer-focused bookstore you've ever seen. I would figure out ways to make sure that I had a linkage to my customers in a way that the big box can't. I'd look for ways to do tailored stuff that the big boxes can't. Um, I'd say, what can I offer um, that that the the the, um, the big boxes can't provide? My dad had a uh, small farm and was trying to grow corn when I was growing up and. He had 1,300 acres. Well, compared to the big places out in Kansas that grow corn on 500,000 acres, he, he, he wasn't able to compete. And so I, one day I remember asking him, what can you do with this land that a 500,000-acre uh, place can't do? And he said, probably blueberries. They take a lot of tender love and care. So I'd find the blueberries, so to speak, in my store and say, what can I do different? that a big box can't. And here, here to me, come of, back to the experience. Here are a couple of quick examples from the book about um, small businesses that have taken this to heart. One of our favorite 
is a men's clothing store in Atlanta called Miller Brothers. And if you go in Miller Brothers, you'll notice the difference immediately because they design the store with the experience of the customer in mind, and you can see the connection to their customer throughout the store. And what I mean by that is, in addition to uh, having great displays, meaning you can easily see what they've got, they have really plush seating. It's a very comfortable place. They wanted to make it a place where this is a, a men's clothing store where men could come and feel very comfortable. So you know us guys, sometimes we like to have a cold beer, and so they have a fully stocked bar, self-service, yeah. or, they'll, or they'll get it for you. And when I say fully stocked, I'm so, I mean fully stocked. And as they built this for their customers, it's very accessible. If you bring the kid with you, there's a gumball machine, one of those old gumball machines with all those brightly colored gumballs in it and right next to it a small dish with pennies. So your kids are going to go down there and feed the gumball machine and let Dad Drop. look at a few clothes and do what they need to do. And they, <laughs> I love the dish of pennies. That, that Oh, yeah. Such. But they made this connection, and the, the two brothers are right there when you walk in uh, to, to help you and connect with you, and they know so much about their customers that they built the whole store so that it would connect with their customers. And they're we doing also, something. Yeah, they're doing something Nordstrom can't do. Yeah, yeah, they really are. We also uh, we had a client send us a story when we were writing the book about a tire store. Now you know if you go to a tire store, you don't go there every week or every month. You don't need tires, hopefully, that, that often. So you just go there periodically. And uh, this a client of ours wrote us, wrote us and told us that her husband went by the tire store, hadn't been there in over a year, pulled in and parked, and by the time he opened the door, one of the people in the store said, Mr. Jones, thanks for coming back. How can we help you today? Now, he knew that there's no way that he'd ever met that salesperson before, but somehow they knew who he was. Turns out the tire store records everybody's license plate when they bring their car in, puts it in the database, and they watch people pull into the parking lot. And oh, if you wow. park your car, they type your license plate into the computer, and up pops the data on Mr. Jones, and they greet you by name. Now, that is brilliant. Even though you hadn't been there in two Jones years. Go, where's Mr. Jones going to go for tires? <laughs> no kidding. And, and what's he going to say? You talk about word of mouth. What's he going to tell people about? The tires he got over there? Nope. He's going to tell them about that experience. And that's what really... That that, think about how little that costs to be able to create that. Or how little it costs to put a gumball machine in a little thing of pennies in a men's clothing store. Right. I mean, it's they're, they're not costly items. It's not, but, And you can say, well, that bar, well, in reality... No customer's going to sit there and drink very much. They might have a cold beer on a hot day, which is in Atlanta, Georgia, is an awesome experience to be able to walk in there and have a cold beer while you're looking at some things. Right, absolutely. You know, yeah, I, I had a hair salon that used to uh, always make sure to have, have the right kind of wine there when I was there for a, a two-hour yeah. color color treatment. And, yeah, I mean, it, it's the little things that make the yeah. difference, absolutely. And it's to Chip's point, it's knowing enough about the customer to know what makes a difference to the customer. Exactly. Make the connection. 
Because if you miss, then it, it, it isn't going to have that same impact. Well, absolutely. Well, in in the, the last couple of minutes, and, I, and this has just absolutely flown by, guys. I, I've really oh, we've enjoyed it. it. We're having a good time. <clears throat> well, let me let me just remind folks um, that your book is called "Take Their Breath Away," and uh, can you let them know how to reach you? Sure. Go to www.taketheirbreathaway.com, and right there you can connect with us. Uh, either through email, through our blog, or you can get our cell phone numbers. It's all right there on TakeTheirBreathAway.com. Okay, great. And you, you do also have Twitter uh, links there. We I are. Yes, you'll there. Find, on there you'll find uh, Chip R. Bell is Chip's Twitter address. John R. Pat is mine. And uh, you can connect with us there. Those Twitter addresses are on the website as well. Okay, well, what All I have to well, remember is the title of the book. That's all it takes. Well, and it's a great title. Uh, I, I don't know how much you guys had, had to do with that or whether that was your publisher, but uh, take their breath away when you talk about customer service is, is clearly not the norm and the status quo. No, so. no. <clears throat> okay, well, thank well, you guys so, so much. Oh, well, thank you, Chicky. We've enjoyed every minute of it. All right, well, great. You guys have a terrific day. We'll do it. You Just too. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, great. That was an amazing setup for our next guest, who is going to be talking about his book, which is called In Pursuit of Elegance. Let me get him on the air. I'm here. Good morning, Matthew. <laughs> Do you go by Matthew or Matt? No, well, Matt's easier. Okay, great. I saw saw both used, so I, I always like to start out by asking. No, well, thanks. I am about halfway through your book, and I have to tell you, it is a fascinating read. Well, thank you. Thank it you. really is. Uh, uh, I, I had one of those weekends where I read like four books. And so, oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah. And, and it was interesting, actually, how they all dovetailed together, because I started out with a book by uh, Sam Horn called Pop, where she's trying to help people, you know, come up with uh, pithy ways uh, to stand out in the crowd. Sure. But, you know, coming up with the message doesn't matter if you haven't really come up with the core of that elegant offering. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of books out there on on ideas, uh, how they stick and how they spread. Um, but there aren't that many on what makes for a because uh, good bad ideas can stick and spread, right? So there aren't <laughs> that many <laughs> there aren't that many out there that uh, talk about well, what's a good idea in the first place? Well, and it's interesting because that was the other uh, one of the other books I read was you know what how do you deconstruct uh, you know coming up with a good idea? And I read that one just right before. Uh, I read your book, and so yours, you know, really put the icing on the cake. So tell me a little bit about yourself, uh, Matt, before you uh, started writing books, and I know that this isn't your first book. It's not my first book. It's actually, uh, this sprang out of a previous book called The Elegant Solution, um, and the subtitle of that was uh, Toyota's Formula for Mastering Innovation, and that gives you a little bit of insight into my background. I spent uh, nearly eight years uh, as a oh how should I how should I phrase it a captive consultant perhaps. Right. <laughs> uh, Toyota bought all of my time for about eight years, uh, uh, and I was assigned to a pretty specific 
uh, project and part of Toyota, which was called the University of Toyota. And over the, that course of eight years, I had several uh, life-changing experiences, breakthroughs, epiphanies, uh, what have you, that uh, allowed me to put my thoughts together uh, in a book about innovation uh, called The Elegant Solution, Toyota's Formula for Mastering Innovation. And unfortunately, the example, which was Toyota, upstaged the notion or the concept that I was trying to get across, which was prevalent inside that organization, which was the notion of elegance, achieving far more uh, and far better with much less. Everyone focused on Toyota. Toyota at the time was you know, uh, sort of taking over the world. Uh, and, and the deeper message got obscured, and so that left me the opportunity to travel the world uh, to look for instances of times and places and people and performances and products and services and strategies where something had been subtracted and greater impact had resulted. So I sort of divorced myself from uh, Toyota and any one example and just looked for uh, anything I could find uh, irrespective of domain that that had a subtractive quality yet far more impact because of that subtraction and and talk a little bit about the subtraction quality because i I found that really uh, just eye opening because you you don't really think about it in those terms yeah and i'll and i'll I'll run the risk of uh perhaps plugging a, a, a a gentleman by the name of Jim Collins who has a brand new book out there, and I'll probably get in trouble for doing that. But I had a sort of an epiphanal moment uh, in the middle of that that project that I had with Toyota. Uh, see, they had hired me to to help them uh, uh, transfer the kind of creativity and innovation and engagement that uh, was occurring in, of all places, the factory environment, over to the corporate environment. Um, and without going into why that hadn't happened. Um, I was struggling with exactly how to do that until I read uh, an essay uh, in USA Today, uh, the end of the year, 2003, <clears throat> by uh, Jim Collins, and it was uh, entitled, uh, This Year, A Stop Doing List. And it, it detailed how he had left uh, Stanford as a young MBA, was fast-tracking in a career at Hewlett-Packard, went back to Stanford, and one of his professors said, hey, Jim, you know, um, you may be going in the wrong direction. I'm going to give you an assignment, and the assignment is this. You've got $20 million free and clear in 10 years to live. What would you do, and specifically, what would you stop doing? And that changed his life, and it actually changed my life, too, because I realized that I had been looking at the project the wrong way. It wasn't what was being done. It was what was not being done. Uh, And that's the essence, I think, of the subtractive uh, nature is sometimes what isn't there can be more powerful than what is. If you leave something missing, if you leave something open to interpretation, if you artfully and thoughtfully subtract something from the equation, um, what happens is your customers, your users, your audience will fill in the blank for themselves and it becomes all that much more powerful because they have invested their own intellectual and emotional um, equity into the equation. Got it, got it. Now, you know, the other thing that um, you talked about, and, and again, there are four different principles in the, in the book, and, and we kind of jumped over symmetry, uh, you know, as the first one that you talk about in the book, and, and I, I shared with you a little bit 
uh, last night as I was reading about this, it, it was talking about uh, this whole notion of fractals, and I shared with you kind of a, a silly little story, but every time I make anything Italian and pull out garlic, I put it in the pan, and I watch this amazing what I now know to be a fractal thing <laughs> happen with the garlic, and it forms these geometric patterns um, that that are just astounding. And uh, you you told a story about uh, actually uh, some young painters who who discovered uh, this out in nature. Um, but but what does symmetry have to do with business? Uh, it has a it has a lot to do uh, with business, and let me let me backtrack and uh, pick up on what you mentioned. There. First of all, uh, elegance the way I define it and describe it, uh, I didn't really come up with. Uh, elegance is the unique combination of two things. When something is unusually simple yet surprisingly powerful, it stops us up short, and you know, as your previous uh, guest mentioned, takes our breath away. It, it sm- we get a smack to the forehead, you know, and we go, "Oh my gosh, that's so simple but so powerful." Well, when you deconstruct that or decode that, um, I went to computer programming, um, and a gentleman by the name of Donald Knuth, um, people talked about he's he sort of the father of computer science, talked about his programming as elegant, and he defined something. Um, as elegant when it is symmetrical, spare, pleasingly memorable, and has the ease and immortal ring of an E equals MC squared. I took those four criteria and and, uh, took a little literary license with them, made them uh, alliterative, and came up with symmetry, seduction, subtraction, and sustainability. And symmetry is, um, you know, when we think, when we hear the word symmetry, we think of uh, reflection in a mirror or a starfish, or a snowflake, uh, or an English daisy. Uh, Things that um, we describe as having some sort of simple pattern to them, but makes for a complete whole, and it's it's pleasing to the eye. Well, symmetry really comes from mathematics, and the definition of, of symmetry is something is symmetrical if there's something you can do to it, so that after you've finished doing it, it, it looks the same. Right. Well, that brings into uh, play a number of things. Um, And you mentioned fractals. Fractals are a special kind of symmetry because you can look at them at different magnifications and the pattern remains the same. And it is important in business um, because not, not necessarily because of the definition of a fractal, but because of the implications of fractals. Very, very simple rules one or two non-negotiable, self-repeating, self-repetitive, self-similar rules lead to a kind of order and organization that you could never achieve by imposing order on it superficially, which is to say sometimes if we stand back and watch as in our organizations, in our businesses, as these natural patterns occur, and we observe them and take note of them, sometimes we don't have to design all of the things that we think we need to design in order to achieve the kind of order uh, out of what seems to be chaos and complexity. And one of the stories I, I love to tell is um, the notion of the, the traffic lights and traffic controls being removed in a number of uh, high-traffic locations in the Netherlands, in the United Kingdom. Um, And I'm talking 20,000-plus 
cars a day, not to mention yeah. bicyclists and pedestrians and lorries and, and carts and you name it. Right, uh, I found that art, Artfully designed, these intersections um, create ambiguity, uh, intrigue, and at the same time have removed all of the traditional traffic controls which seem to impose an order yet take our our minds out of the game and what they've achieved is twice twice the traffic flow and twice uh twice the safety so uh you know symmetry and and you know the notion of fractals and simple rules um prevailing have a lot to do with uh with with the design of products with how we organize uh, our our resources including people You know, it's interesting because one of the examples that you gave uh, when you were talking about that uh, recreation of the traffic patterns without all of the controls, so again, subtracting out that which previously was thought to give it, uh, you know, shape and form and and actually safety, is is that when when the lights go out in the intersection that we frequent, you know, we observe people actually, you know, thinking about one another in a way that they don't have to. So I think, you know, it's interesting when you when you take a look at the business implication of removing things that have previously, uh, you know, helped people to, you know, to think and to shape. And, and one of my favorite examples when I go into a consulting client is to tell them that for one day they actually need to put crime tape over the doors of all their conference rooms and not let people go in conference rooms for an entire day. And that subtractive force actually forces people to work and to talk and to visit one another in, in their offices and cubicles. So, yeah, so that's you know, my version of that. Well, 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 but that brings up an interesting point, because if you were to look at, for example, any any typical organizational chart, it is, quite frankly, symmetrical and fractal. Um, but that's not the way, if you were to spend time in that organization, the information actually flows. Right. And what we're finding out now, and, and, and the power of social networking and social media, is that information flows in ways uh, that are different than how you would construct them on a piece of paper. And trying to map those patterns leads to something that's far more beautiful and far more complex, yet works so much better uh, than what you have on a piece of paper as the typical hierarchical, uh, you know, you know, the org chart. That information just never flows that way. And in fact, if you look at org charts, where the interactions occur are in the white space. Right. Uh, people work in the white space. They don't work in those boxes that you put them in. And that's sort of another application in business of the notion of elegance. Is it's what's what's not there on the paper is where all the good stuff happens. Right, right. So let's talk about the the second component, which is is uh, the element of seduction. Okay, all right. Um, you know, the the element of seduction um, is that. Gosh, you know, we're 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 all in the business of of exchanging ideas. Uh, and conventional wisdom would tell you that in order to be a good idea, um, it needs to be two or three things. It needs to be complete. It needs to be clear. It needs to be concrete. Uh, and that makes for a good idea, one that will stick and spread and everyone can get. Well, what if that's wrong? What if the most 
long-lasting, most engaging, most uh, powerful and impactful ideas really are none of those things. What if they are murky? What if they are purposefully incomplete? And uh, in a chapter in the book that I talk about seduction, I start with the story of the Mona Lisa, whose smile we've all been trying to figure out. Is she mocking us? Is she happy? Is she uh, sad? What exactly is it that the Mona Lisa is? And in researching um, the notion of incomplete ideas, uh, which, by the way, you know, the subtitle of the book is Why the Best Ideas Have Something Missing. I had run across a, a passage uh, by an art historian that caught my eye that uh, the Mona Lisa was painted with a technique um, by Leonardo da Vinci called sfumato, which is uh, a Latin-Italian word for smoky or hazy. And I happened to be in in uh, in Paris um, in 2007, and I made a special trip to the Louvre and looked at her. It's a quite small painting, actually. You'll be surprised at how small she is. And, uh, you know, did a couple of trips around the museum to try and figure out exactly what the magic was because I wasn't getting, you know, from all the replications that you see in books and, and uh, you know, art posters, and I wasn't really getting the power of what uh, what he was talking about. But, but sure enough, when you see this painting in person, um, you can get two or three, even four different uh, impressions from her. Well, Leonardo da Vinci specifically instructed uh, people to make lines less clear and less distinct, uh, to make them purposefully hazy and ambiguous, uh, because, gosh, um, the smile is the most expressive part, uh, many people believe, of a person's face. And if you make it too concrete and too perfect, um, you take away the life factor of that, you know, the humanness of the smile, which is always changing, which you can smile, but you can communicate three or four or five different things in that smile, depending on on how you smile. And that was a launching off point for the notion of seduction, which is um, curiosity uh, depends on gaps, gaps in our knowledge. And there are various and assorted ways to create those gaps. But when we create those gaps, we as human beings are hardwired to fill in those gaps. And we become more uh, uh, linked, connected, and uh, you know, engaged in an idea or a, a product or service, even a television show, when that intrigue and ambiguity and uncertainty is there because we inject ourselves into the very idea. So that's the notion of, of seduction. Um, and you know, I, I trace in history... Uh, the notion of non finito, which is a technique that Michelangelo, Cezanne, all kinds of artists have used over the years, which is to purposely leave something incomplete um, because the eye, uh, because of the lack of symmetry, uh, our eyes are attracted to it, and uh, we try and fill in that uh, that gap, and we're seduced by what isn't there. <laughs> right, right. Well, uh, the next uh, point that you mention in the book is actually the one that we, we started talking about, which, which of course, um, was the law of subtraction. And then, then the last point is all about sustainable solutions. And a lot of people use the word sustainable in, in a, a number of different ways. So why don't you help define for us what you mean by sustainability? 
I, I took the the broader cut at sustainability. I mean, sustainability now has has come to become synonymous with the uh, environmental notion of sustainability. Um, which is an application of the concept, but but like symmetry, I think sustainability is pretty easy to define, um, but it's harder to to understand and understand its implications. Something is sustainable simply if it's something that you can maintain indefinitely. That's it. Uh, that's what sustainability is. That's something very easy to define, but think about what that implies. It implies a couple of things. One, uh, it implies that you can't undermine what was used to generate the idea in the first place, uh, your resources, uh, which is where the environmental aspect comes in. But the second implication gets to the heart of elegance, which is achieving the maximum effect with the minimum use of resources. And that resource constraints um, uh, actually drive creativity and innovation. Uh, you know, it's it's tough to to imagine Sting or Paul Simon, the songwriters, saying, "Gosh, I can't write another hit song because I only have eight notes." Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's hard to imagine the great authors of the world saying, "I can't write another great novel because there aren't enough uh, letters in the alphabet, um, and, I, and there aren't enough words." So artists uh, get the notion of sustainability, and in fact. You know, Einstein's equation, E equals MC squared, remains something that is hotly debated uh, 100 years plus uh, after its, after its uh, development. So um, sustainability is a notion of how do you maintain something indefinitely, uh, and when that is used to drive our ideas and strategies um, and services and products, we come at the solution in a different way. Uh, we come about it in a subtractive way. How do we minimize our use of effort and time and, and energy uh, to achieve greater impact? And it's the notion of, of not adding, not necessarily acting, stopping to think, um, taking in the context of the situation. And sometimes, if we look at things from different perspectives, the solution truly is right there, and sometimes we don't have to do much of anything. So that's the notion of, of sustainability. And you know, all of the, the examples that uh, I was able to find had that quality to them. It wasn't something that was fleeting. Uh, it wasn't something that was a passing fancy. It had real uh, a real staying power to it. Now, Matt, um, are you still doing consulting? I do. I do. Uh, I work with, uh, with with a number of uh, of, of corporate clients, um, both individuals and teams. Um, but, um, you know, while I was writing this book, I didn't. I spent most of my time uh, speaking, and that enabled me the freedom to conduct the kind of research that I wanted to, which, you know, sometimes the hardest thing to do is to get in front of people and have them spend time with you, um, see things, uh, experience things um, all around all around the world. So for a couple of years, I actually stopped doing uh, my consulting work in order to uh, to look deeper into the concept of elegance. Well, and I, I can uh, totally understand that. I, I have had a consulting firm for 13 years, and three years ago uh, kind of hit a brick wall with it and decided that I, I really needed to shift gears. And so high on my list of things to stop doing was, uh, you know, the tactical, e- even in the strategic consulting, although I, I love the, the strategic consulting most, and ended up building a technology company 
And it's funny because as I was doing all of this reading uh, this week, the the technology company was uh, what I will call uh, in its first iteration a spectacular failure. And uh, although failure has been the best teacher, as I was reading all of these books this weekend, I, I couldn't help but try to, you know, figure out how to apply everything I was reading back to how do I resurrect that in its next iteration. And I, I'm actually working with Toyota and, and Panasonic Automotive right now uh, on on uh, a potential way to resurrect what, what we've built. So it's interesting that you have that Toyota connection. Okay. But uh, I also understand stopping, you know, to write a book and, and stopping to really do the kind of research that you need. Uh, today is actually the last day of this show uh, for the season, and I, I decided to take a summer hiatus. So uh, it'll be interesting to go back and, and listen to all of the authors. I've done about 100 interviews since the show launched uh, on February 1st. Uh, but, wow, uh, that, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, it's, been, it's really been amazing because I, I, I set out to really thoroughly understand uh, you know what people tend to call social media. I prefer uh, the term word of mouth media, yeah. and understanding uh, you know the impact of what's going on between consumers, and uh, you know even in the use of those tools on, on a business to business front, uh, and how that applies to all of these things people are doing. Because you know the the stories that you tell in this book are stories that people are talking about every day now on Twitter and Facebook and. And, you know, the dialogue that used to have to live in that formal business world, uh, you know, we've now subtracted that out and allowed people just to dialogue with people that they don't even know, um, you know, about really important things. Yeah, yeah, especially, you know, it's funny, um, you know, the the, the whole Twitter movement, if you will, uh, how fast that has uh, taken off and and uh, I caught myself, um, I started doing that back in January, uh, as, as well as Facebook, um, just to see what it was all about. Right. And I'm quite addicted to that little uh, box that holds 140 characters. <laughs> right. Um, there's something elegant to that. And, you know, I was thinking the other day, um, gosh, it, it, it really quite is elegant because it's it's very simple. It's obviously very powerful because, uh, you know, gosh, when you get two million people in a, in a few months to to follow you around and stalk you, um, even if you're not saying anything, well, there's something, you know, you got to be able to use that somehow. There's something there. But the notion of of subtraction, of symmetry, you know, everybody has, nothing is different um, for one person versus another. On Twitter, everyone has the very same opportunity. You've got... 140 characters. That's it. Doesn't matter where you are, who you are. It's not like we're, you know, like most most products and services where different markets have different iterations, different versions. You know, in the car world, for example, what is sold here in America is not what's sold in Japan or Europe. Uh, so there's a lack of symmetry uh, there. But but Twitter is very symmetrical in that in that respect. It's quite subtractive. Don't we find ourselves uh, editing? Our our letters, our thoughts, our messages, <laughs> uh, far more than if we had 280 characters. Yeah, it's, it's actually interesting because your uh, the forward of your book was written by Guy Kawasaki, and it's in 140 characters, which uh, yeah. I I actually did retweet that last night because I, it it hit me uh, as being very very powerful. And he says, "Less is the new more. Easy to learn, symmetry, seduction." Subtraction and sustainability. Very valuable to do. Step one, read Matt's book. 
<laughs> and I, I just thought that was so uh, apropos uh, to the topic of elegance uh, for that very reason. And you're you're right. It's kind of the great equalizer, and and you know people are still. Uh, trying to learn, and and one of the things I'm trying to tell them to do is that they need to actually slow down a little bit to go fast. And, you know, people ran into it and started blogging about their bagels and their coffee and their dog and and didn't really think about what a powerful medium it really is. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see the evolution of – of this is it sustainable that's that's the thing that's left to uh to be determined uh, i think it is not just from a business model standpoint because we don't know what's going to happen you know are they going to be able to monetize twitter i don't think that's a, a real concern um is it is it sustainable from the from the aspect of well gosh what's to stop us from going to 70 characters nice. um you know where does it you know why 140 what what what's special about that uh is there a better way to do that a way to improve it but what's fascinating to me is is what's springing up all around the basic the basic idea oh, um nice. and that that's the notion of 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 seduction and and subtraction actually subtraction can mean um not adding so while the basic Twitter functionality remains the same, what you have is all these other, uh, uh, you know, Twitter clients and services springing up all around it because it is such a simple idea, and the users supply the resources and the accoutrements to the basic idea. And if you think about it, um, it's it's Twitter is sort of like what In-N-Out Burger does with their secret menu. Um, <laughs> They, they allow the customers to. They they don't change their basic offering. They allow their customers to come up with uh, with new items, and they standardize those items if they're popular into what's a what's a secret menu. And you have to be a user to understand all those things. Same thing with Twitter. Twitter's really not changing a lot of what they do, and when they do, people get up and you know all up in arms. Um, but uh, those things are springing up all around them. So it's kind of a fascinating fascinating place to be right now. Well, it is, and and it's interesting how the um, uh, you know the terminology used within Twitter, and I mean I I do it myself. I I use a product called Ping FM because it allows me to update Facebook, LinkedIn, Plaxo, and Twitter at exactly the same time with exactly the same message. But I still use the at Matt E W E May is my guest rather than saying you know Matthew May is my guest. Right. Um, because that way when people click on it, you know, I mean, when, when they see that, they know that that's how to follow you on Twitter. So it exactly. serves to, you know, support you. And then if you use terms that you want to be picked up, you put the hash mark ahead of it. And people are doing that throughout all things, not just Twitter, which which is very, very interesting. And you're right. You know, um, it, it's it's just very interesting, the elegance that you can get uh, by simplicity. And and uh, that certainly is what Twitter has forced us into in communication. Well, Matt, um, I have really enjoyed having you on, and, and this morning's show has just been absolutely flying by for me. And I am anxious to have uh, some quiet time later tonight to uh, finish reading your book. And uh, why don't you tell folks again the name of your book and how to reach you? Well, the name of the book is In Pursuit of Elegance, Why the Best Ideas Have Something Missing. Uh, it's published by uh, Random House Broadway Business. And uh, the best way to find me is in pursuitofelegance.com. Uh, on there, you can, can link to me in any number of ways, including Twitter. I'm, I'm at Matthew E. May, 
on Twitter, but that's probably the the best way to do it, either Twitter or uh, or the website, which is essentially a blog site. Right, right. And so you you blog about uh, all things elegant. <laughs> that's it. And I'm looking to uh, you know this week I'll start. Uh, last week was sort of all about the the book. Um, but back to the the, the pursuit, and um, what I'd love to do is have people uh, engage in the dialogue and the hunt for uh, elegant ideas and, and solutions and strategies and services, things that are unusually simple yet surprisingly powerful in their life. Well, that is uh, that is great, and I know I'm going to jump on there. I would love to have some dialogue uh, with you about what we're uh, going to be doing with Toyota and Panasonic. Sure. Uh, just to get your uh, feedback after spending so much time uh, in in that uh, that culture. I tend to know how they think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I've learned is that it takes two years to get a memorandum of understanding signed. Oh. You know, another yeah. six months to get an MOU done. So uh, I'm not surprised that you you were uh, held captive for seven years because once they've invested that much money just in getting the paperwork done, yeah, <laughs> they gotta uh, yeah. stick with you. <laughs> yeah, they don't. They aren't the quickest mover. You're right, but uh, gosh, they um, they sure taught me a lot about about thinking. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Matt, it has been really terrific, and I look forward to contributing to your search for elegance. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you for having me on. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, terrific. Well, we are shifting our show around today, and uh, I am going to be doing our Joint Venture Show right now at 11 o'clock with my friend Pamela. Let me see if I can get her on the air. Hi, Hi Chicky. How are you? <laughs> I am doing terrific, and thank you for being flexible. I uh, have to ride over to Orlando today for lunch and uh, like to allow myself a little extra time. So uh, it's great to shift this to 11 o'clock. And um, are we going to be joined by Carolyn? I don't see her on, on the phone yet. I believe so. She's scheduled to, to dial in, so maybe okay. she's just a little well, bit delayed. Well, great. Well, but. while we're waiting for her, why don't you tell us a little bit about your book first, for those who haven't uh, read your book, and then let's uh, kind of set things up for when she does get on the phone. Sounds good. Yes, so my book is called Escape from Corporate America, A Practical Guide to Creating the Career of Your Dreams. And it was inspired by my own experience after climbing the corporate ladder for about 12 years and um, for the last several of those really itching to uh, to go out on my own and, and do something more fulfilling and more challenging, I finally made that move. And I realized there were so many other people out there who were either doing similar things or thinking about it or wishing that they could start a business or pursue their passion. And I really I felt like it was time that someone wrote a book um, sort of summarizing the best practices of people who've done it. So that's what I did. I spent a lot of time going out and interviewing people who made major career changes successfully and, um, and learning what it is that they, uh, what they did and what advice they would offer to people who uh, are planning similar moves. So I met Carolyn. Uh, during that process, um, someone, another person that I interviewed recommended her and said her story is just fascinating because she was a high power. Her name's Carolyn Hudson, by the way, and she'll be joining us soon, I believe. But uh, she was a high-powered marketing executive for one of the top management consulting firms for many years. And she left to become a singer and songwriter. 
So that's a, that's a pretty extreme leap, uh, and one of those things that yeah, most people yeah, would no think kidding. is impossible to do. <laughs> yeah. What are yeah. while we're waiting for her? What are what are some of the the other really dramatic uh, shifts that you had? I know we've had a lot of folks on the show who you know have have uh, you know had a particular expertise. Maybe they were working in in accounting or finance, and you know decided to go off and start their own practice of, of consulting with folks. And you know that that's a really logical jump, but but going from a censure to you know being a, a sultry singer, you know, yes. is pretty dramatic. Were there any others that come to your mind? Yeah, absolutely. There's um, well, one that many people are familiar with is Scott Adams, and he's a very the creator of Dilbert, a very famous, successful, and wealthy cartoonist. And so that was a big and dramatic leap to go from um, middle management in that technology and previously at a bank. Uh, to being pretty much a, a household name. And he did it because he was inspired by all the inanity that he saw around him in his corporate job. So in a way, his corporate job really provided the platform for him to move into his next career. So that's one of the reasons why I love that story. That is really great. That is really terrific. Well, I, I don't see Carolyn on, on uh, the switchboard yet, so... Uh, perhaps you might want to just take a second and ping her on email. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, I will wait for you to do that. Absolutely, and then we can talk. Um, if, if she's a little bit delayed, we can talk uh, about some of the other stories as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is the first time we've had uh, had some sort of wires getting crossed, or maybe she was just delayed. <laughs> Okay, you know she had that 10:30 meeting, so it could just be mm-hmm. that it's getting out late. Yeah, so just, well, just tell her just, just tell her not to worry that that you and I are pretty adept at, at keeping things going. <laughs> we always have something to talk about, and then she can she can join us to share. Yeah, I just sent her uh, an email, and I sent her one earlier this morning too. Okay, so I'm sure well that's again. I I am remembering that she did have that 10:30 meeting, so uh, not to worry. Well, we've had an, an interesting morning so far. Started out talking about a book uh, called Take Their Breath Away, uh, mm-hmm. which is all about shifting uh, gears on customer service, which uh, I found very, very interesting, um, You know, particularly in this tough economy of, of how you compete. But one of the things I liked about Chip and John and, and the story that they shared was they really focused on how to help entrepreneurs compete with big box and big brand names. Mm-hmm. So uh, you might want to go back and listen to that one uh, when you get a chance. And then yeah. um, I just finished interviewing Matthew May, who wrote uh, the book In Pursuit of Excellence, and just a fascinating book. I, this was my reading weekend. I, I started out reading Sam Horn's book, Pop, uh, about how to stand out in any crowd uh, you know, with, uh, with pithy, purposeful, and original uh, uh, taglines. And I love the word pithy. I just like saying that. <laughs> that is a good name. It doesn't. It doesn't sound like what it's supposed to mean, right? <laughs> it sounds Correct. good, but I do like Correct. that word. Yeah, and then I, I actually read a really interesting uh, book, and this, this is kind of off topic with with the whole uh, entrepreneurial thing. But you and I have talked to a number of people who go out and do coaching. In fact, you know, we we both do that uh, with yeah. our corporate clients, and um, I read a book called The Offsite, and it's a leadership mm. challenge. Fable by a guy named Robert uh, H. Thompson, and the thing that was interesting about this was that it um, 
it helps you see kind of everything that's behind the scenes when you go into a client. And so I think anybody that we work with, uh, you know, that, that does, you know, kind of these, these off-site intensive meetings where people are having to leave behind, you know, their day-to-day work and put their phones, uh, you know, on, on mute or turn them off or put them on stun, whatever they say, um, you know, of, of what happens behind the scenes. And it was a real epiphany for me because I've gone in and done those those workshops and forgetting that there's another dimension to people's lives and that that personal dimension, um, you know, you really can't always leave it outside the door. It's true. It's true. I've been I've been a participant in so many of those, and now um, in my newer career uh, chapter, I've I've led and and been speaking at, at a lot of those. So it's, it's it sounds like an interesting perspective. Yeah, it really was. It really was. And then I I'm uh, looking for the book. I must have left it downstairs. Uh, I read another one. I mean, I was just on this marathon reading um, thing this weekend, and read another one about. Um, uh, it's called the Genius. Machine, and I interviewed uh, the author last week, and uh, unfortunately wasn't able to get uh, the book completed before I interviewed him. But wow, so incredibly powerful of talking about how to harness your thoughts, and and that really, you know, people tell you once you come up with an idea, they'll tell you how to execute it, but they don't tell you how to come up with it. And and uh, I found his book just absolutely fascinating and uh, I'm trying to remember his uh, That's interesting I've, I've been reading a lot about innovation and getting ideas and ex- you know finding that creativity for my my next book that I'm working on which I'll hopefully be sharing some more information on that soon but uh, that's an area that I'm I'm really looking at so I'll have to pick that book up too yeah um, again I'm trying to find uh, must have been two weeks ago that I interviewed him back on my calendar um yeah i'll have to i'll have to post it but uh just really uh you know i i go through phases where i read uh a lot and and uh you know i'll when i go on vacation i tend to read novels but uh you know when i get in this business reading mode i just can't get enough uh, oh his name is <laughs> gerald sindel s-i-n-d-e-l-l and the book is the genius machine but it was interesting in that the order that I read these books in um, created uh, an interesting symmetry, which uh, Matthew talks about in his book, In Pursuit of Excellence. Um, I'm sorry, In Pursuit of Elegance, which is really the whole notion of that there is is real power in simplicity. Um, and I, I think we've gotten just so overcomplicated, uh, you know, in our mm-hmm. lives these days. Um, and, you know, we were talking a little bit on each of the calls this morning about social media and, and what that's all about. And I'm launching uh, – today is actually the last day that we're going to do the show uh, uh, until the end of summer because my kids get off school on Thursday, and I have not yet figured out how to manage having them home all day because my office uh. is, is – uh, in an open loft, and so there is no sound protection. And uh, so, but, shows, huh? <laughs> yeah, but one of the things I'm doing is I'm launching a book club, um, uh, three weeks at a time, uh, one hour uh, calls with with this book club, to go through um, a book called Social Traffic, and we're going to be talking about how to leverage word, word of mouth media. And, uh, you know, there's so many people who are just jumping in with both feet into, you know, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or LinkedIn or Plaxo. And, um, you know, they're not really thinking it all the way through. And I know companies 
uh, oftentimes will think about a social media strategy. But individuals don't really yeah. think that through. So uh, we're going to be helping folks, uh, you know, kind of navigate how how to use social media to whatever end it is, you know, that they're after, whether it's launching a new book or or a not-for-profit or trying to be seen as the expert in something, which uh, I don't know if you talk about that in your book at all, but, you know, if you're thinking about leaving corporate America, one of the best things you can do is to establish yourself as an expert separate from your company. Absolutely. Yeah, you're not your job title. You have to think about who you are as a brand, not who you are to your company. Right, right. And so we, I've been working with uh, with Libby Gill, who, uh, of course, was one of my earliest guests on Solutions Live. Uh, she was uh, the marketing and branding uh, genius behind the launch of the Dr. Phil Show. And she has been uh, working with me to help um, the women who are part of my executive girlfriends group to do their own personal branding, which I have found uh, to be a fascinating process. I've been working with her a little bit uh, myself. My problem is I can't decide who I want to be. Uh, you know, I love the radio show and wish I could uh, continue it, but I've, I've got to turn my uh, my thoughts, at least for a little while, to some things that are going to bring in some <laughs> substantial yeah. money into the Fitzgerald household. And uh, the, the radio is, is a, a bit of an expensive uh, uh, hobby right now. Labor of love, at least. Right? <laughs> well, it has been. And you know what? I wouldn't trade it for anything, Pamela, because I have met the most amazing people uh, over the course of, of the last, um, gosh, it's been five months already. And, uh, you know, if I could spend the rest of the year just going around and visiting them all, you know, because I've met so <laughs> many people who have become so instrumental in my life, that I haven't yeah. met yet physically. And, you know, you're one of them, Bob Berg and, and John David Mann, who are the authors of The Go-Giver. And, mm-hmm. you know, out of meeting them, I've met, you know, Svetlana Kim and, and just, again, an amazing group of authors and speakers that each one of them has opened doors for me that, you know, if I had decided six months ago, uh, you know, to shift gears away from the travel industry and to, you know, connect with a hundred of the most powerful people in North America, you know, I couldn't have picked a better way to do it. <laughs> yeah, you have great guests. And I bet this five month period has been has more than paid off in terms of what you've learned and how you've uh, been able to build on your ideas just from talking with all these people. Well, totally. And, and I mean, one of the things that I'm toying with is, you know, putting together uh, a compilation book similar uh, you know, to the style of what you did, um, you know, with my the learning I've done. Uh, mm-hmm. Because, you know, whether it be on the business side of the topics of innovation and leadership and growth and entrepreneurialism, you know, or the personal side of, of all of the various topics that we've dealt with on the Thursday uh, radio broadcast, which has been, you know, giving and faith in the marketplace and personal finances and, and life balance, Um you know, I mean, I just have uh, just a wealth of information uh, in all of those interviews, and it's going to be fun to go back and listen to them. I mean, that's one of the things I'm, I'm hoping to do this summer, uh, because when you're doing the interview, you're you're in the mechanics of it. You know, you're you're not actually taking it in and learning from it. Yeah, absolutely, it's true. You're you're focusing on on one thing, and you miss something else that goes by too quickly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which is, yeah, that's fantastic. And I think it's just going to be about you because you do have a unique voice and, you know, you have an interesting angle based on, on who you are. So figuring out how uh, for your book, which I'm sure will be great, you know, taking that voice and taking your point of view and um, and pulling together the wisdom that you want to share that way. 
Well, so so you are already working on another project. So uh, is this something that that will crystallize during the summer, uh, or or is it yeah, is it imminent? I'm certainly, I'm certainly hoping so. Well, crystallize. I mean, it's it's. Um, I'm writing it, so you know how the publishing industry works. So it'll take some time before it's actually out there in the stores. But very soon I'll be ready. You know, I'm always a little shy at the beginning when my ideas are still coalescing and we're still sure. working out all the details. So I want to wait to be able to make a real. Announcement. But I'm actually working on two projects and, um, well, two book-related projects along with everything else, of course. But, uh, but yeah, so the summer is going to be a very focused time for me, I think. I'm hoping to get a lot done and, and have a lot of new ideas and experiences to share when we, when we meet up again. Well, the interesting thing is that, um, you know, again, six months ago, I knew I wanted to write a book. Um, you know, I've got a couple of book ideas that have been rolling around uh, in, in my head for, for quite a long time and, and all in, in very, very different genres. And, you know, six months ago, I didn't know anything about publishing. I didn't know any authors uh, other than I was an avid reader. And now <laughs> the interesting thing is, you know, I can put out a note to, you know, literally a hundred different authors and ask them about their experiences with their publisher and with their uh, you know the the person promoting their book, and I can really uh, short circuit a lot of the pain I think a lot of people go through when they do their first uh, you know popular novel. I mean, I've I've done uh, I've I've written four books, but they're more like um, you know Forrester and Jupiter Studies that sell for eight hundred and ninety five dollars. And while that sounds wonderful, you know you don't sell you know thousands and millions of them. You sell a hundred right. of them. You know which a hundred is still nice, but it doesn't pay for the time. Uh, that you have it's to put in. Yeah, it's a different model, right? It's, well, yeah, it's part of that model that. that we were talking about of becoming an expert. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's interesting. One of the things that I do in my mentoring of, of people who are in transition or thinking about wanting to leave corporate America is how do you establish that voice and how do you isolate what it is that you know and write about it in an authoritative way even if you self-publish it in the form of a white paper or you just start writing a blog and every day you write you know, something that might be considered a, a chapter or even a subpart of a chapter. Um, you know, it's just so powerful to do that and, and to have something, you know, when people Google you, something other than, you know, just something about your corporate job or, you know, photos that you've posted on Flickr. Right, Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, you're so right that this is going to help you having authors that you can ask questions of because as I learned as I went along, it's very important to be able to ask people who've been through it. There's a lot they don't tell you uh, (laughs) along the way, right? Right. (laughs) In terms of what you should do before, when you should start preparing, you know, all those things. Well, and I think, you know, most of all, having a clear goal of what you want to accomplish by writing because I, I was listening to a, a program uh, by a guy uh, who someone had recommended to me who helps you figure out how to leverage, um, actually, the speaker circuit, uh, mm-hmm. you know, which is, is um, really what I am more interested in than writing the book itself. Okay. Um, and he talked about uh, a gentleman um, who wrote a book, and his audience, quite literally, his goal is he had two CEOs that he wanted to have read that book. Now, clearly, the publisher wanted more than two people to buy the book. 
But he was going to be satisfied if two people bought the book because those two people were people he wanted to get his message across to, and he wanted a consulting engagement or to sell a product, I don't even recall what it was, uh, to those two individuals. And, you know, when I set out to write my first book, I mean, I may have for a fleeting moment thought I was actually going to make enough money on it to, to make it worthwhile. But what I found out is that when I started the book, I was charging $800 a day for my time. You know, and now I charge, you know, between five and 7000 a day for my time. And all because I have become the de facto expert in that particular topic that I wrote my first book on. Yeah. And, and so... If I had had the goal to make money on the book and to compensate me for all the time I put into it, I would have been a miserable failure. Yes. <laughs> and so if in this next book, and in fact I've got a book coming out this summer called uh, Bootstrap Business, but I am one of, I don't know, 18 or 20 compilation uh, authors in the book. So, it, you know, it's not really my book. It's, you know, it's it's the three top authors who have their picture on the front, but my picture gets to sit next to them. So, you know, it's my, my uh, short moment of fame. But again, my goal is just uh, to have that book be a framework so that I can begin speaking again. Yeah, absolutely. Have a, have a launch platform for your speaking. Yeah. So yeah. what was your goal in writing your book? Well, honestly, your I started book. out... Two, well, two things really, and for me, it was less financial. I mean, obviously, I would wanted to to be able to make some make something from the book, but it was really two things. One of them being that I know I'm a writer at heart, and it's something that I love to do. And I know that's not the case with a lot of business authors. They don't really they don't like the writing. They actually prefer to outsource the writing. But um, for me, I love that process. I love the research process and the writing process and the whole creative side of things. So that was something that was really missing in what I was doing, certainly in corporate America. So part of it was that, to get back to my writing, which is really a passion of mine. But I think the main reason I wrote this book, or decided to write this book, Escape from Corporate America, as my first one, is that I really felt so strongly that the information wasn't out there at the time. And uh, I really wanted to share, because I, I had thought it was impossible until I started talking to people that I just sort of met by chance. And I thought, if other people could read that it can be done, that there are other people out there doing it, if other people could have that inspiration and the advice, I just I really wanted to, to just spread the message to as many people as possible. And so that was really the driving thing um, that kept me going through the whole process of trying to figure out how to get an agent and all that stuff, which was all new to me. Uh, so that was the main driving point. And, of course, I wanted it to be successful. And, and so many benefits have come from it beyond what I expected, like you talked about in terms of, um, you know, speaking opportunities and also um, as a, it's a great calling card uh, for clients on a consulting basis, um, helps people see what you're all about if they're thinking about hiring you. So there's just so many, so many different things that came out of it that I never really expected. I was a little bit um, focused going in on just getting the message out there. And so do you have a different goal this time around with your new projects? Yeah, it's a little bit different. I mean, one of the things that took me some time to think about was that I, I, I wanted to be driven to get the message out again. I didn't want to just write something that I felt had already been done or that I felt um, was just just for the purpose of writing a book. You know, I wanted to write something that I felt I could add to the discussion and, and bring something new out there. Um, but also, I just really felt like um, I wanted something that I could be passionate about, learning about myself. You know, I think a lot of right. the best ideas... And the best books come from the author or the inventor saying, 
I have this problem or I have this need and um, how am I going to go figure out how to, how to solve it? And it ends up becoming a book or a, or a product that other people can use as well. Right. And, yeah, and I just would like to continue to build upon uh, on my platform as an author and continue to have hopefully more opportunities as well. Well, if you hadn't uh, listened to your heart the first time around, you and I would never know each other because uh, I'll, I'll go back and tell tell the story. As I had, I had gone to the library uh, with my daughter uh, to get some books for her, and I thought, oh, I'll just pop over. And, and uh, this was a brand-new library that had just been built uh, here in the Tampa area. And, uh, you know, I found the business book section. And, you know, uh, books... Uh, book sections in libraries aren't quite as neatly organized as they are, uh, you know, in a bookstore. And so it was a little frustrating. I hadn't been in a library for a while. But uh, your book, which is bright uh, bright yellow, like taxi cab yeah. yellow, um, just quite literally jumped off the shelf at me. And and so, you know, I don't know who was responsible for, for selecting the color. But, you know, once I saw the title and, and saw the cover, it was like, oh, I have to get a hold of her. And this was on a Saturday. I got a hold of you, I believe, on Sunday afternoon and asked you if you would start co-hosting a show with me, uh, you know, in, in less than a week later. And, um, you know, it was just so um, it was just so meant to be because I've really, really enjoyed, uh, you know, talking to some of the folks that you have outlined in, in your book and uh, also just getting to know you better. Yeah, I really have too, and it was and it was great timing because I was was just uh, doing tons of radio for my book, and one of the things I was telling people was, you know, in another life, you know, if I could have more than one career at the same time, well, actually, I kind of do, but uh, I've always sort of had that fantasy that it would be fun to have a radio show, and this kind of let me let me do that in a in a great environment because you've already set up um, a great channel, a great audience that you're already reaching out to. So this was just a wonderful opportunity for me to have some fun with that and also get to know you. And, and I've really enjoyed working with you as a co-host over these last few weeks, few months. Time flies when you're having fun. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it has already been a couple of months. And one of the things that I am uh, intending to do over the summer, because I'm going to be focusing a lot on this word-of-mouth media uh, course that, that I'm going to be offering uh, in this book club format um, is really mastering the whole notion of, of how to get the word out more effectively because, you know, anybody can do a radio show. Um, you know, the technology that Blog Talk Radio provides is, is really amazing and, uh, you know, very, very simple to adopt. And you can do a lot of different things with it. Uh, you know, we used it last week for a product launch uh, with our Transition Solutions um, product that we're doing uh, with a company called Apical Resources, and had all of their their uh, candidates call in to the to the special program that we set up, and uh, you know I've been able to encourage a lot of people that they can you know reach out and, and do that dream, but you know you can't just build it and they will come. Mm-hmm. You have to have a way to build audience and and have to understand how to leverage word of mouth media and to find the people who will be your advocates and. Uh, and your evangelists to get the word out. And, and so hopefully over the next three months uh, I will be able to do that in an effective way so that in the fall I can start the show back up and actually monetize it this time. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, it'll be monetized in many other ways that, that aren't, aren't as traditional or obvious. Uh, but I, I am looking forward to that because I do love doing it so much. 
and and maybe we'll be able to get Carolyn on then. I, I, get, I did get a note while we were speaking that there's some, some phone troubles and cross wires, so that's why we... Uh, we haven't been joined by Carolyn, but uh, she's well, really. Well, that's okay. You know, the, this uh, this actually was uh, a nice way to uh, to wind down this uh, this season uh, of yeah. Solutions Live, and uh, I will be looking forward to hearing over the summer uh, from you what what your uh, next project is, and maybe we can see if we can provide uh, a little bit of an outlet for that as well this fall. Well, yes, and actually, I would love to get your. Um, expert thoughts to help me brainstorm a little bit on my next project. So maybe we can set up a brainstorming date. (laughs) Collaborating and brainstorming. Actually, uh, brainstorying was one of the terms used in one of these books. Uh, I think it was the the offsite of talking about how to actually not just brainstorm and and throw out a bunch of ideas, but to actually tell the story of what it's going to look like when it's successful. That is my thing. I love. I'm. I'm all about storytelling. So that that sounds. Have to figure out what that book is and see if that's something interesting I should look into. Well, I think it it would just be good for you for you know in the role that you're in of of helping uh, clients on a consulting basis. It just gave me new insight to everything that's going on behind the scenes and that it's not all about me and my process that I'm coming in with. Yeah, absolutely. You have to think about the story from another, the other person's point of view, and that's what I tell my career coaching clients too. They're always they're looking for work or looking to transition to something new, and learning to tell the story is such a huge step in that process. Right. All right, my dear. Well, it has been terrific, and uh, I need to uh, get ready and get on the road for my 1 o'clock lunch over in Orlando. But uh, thanks for a great season of Corporate Escape Artists, and I look forward to brainstorming with you over the summer. Yeah, absolutely. Have a great great summer. I know we'll be speaking uh, at some point during the warm months. (laughs) All right, terrific. Take care. care. You too. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. For more information about Solutions Live, see www.solutionslive.blogspot.com. That's Solutions with a Z. I trust that today's show provided you with a bit of innovation and some inspiration. Join us again on Thursday from 10 until noon for the personal side of professional life. Go out and begin to leave your legacy today. Yeah.